Hello and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there aren't a point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today is Tuesday, June 1st. Ben is with me. Hello. And Dan will be joining later, but right now we have political New York insider Alex with us. How's it going? So tomorrow is the next mayoral democratic primary debate it's the first one in person and i guess since the last one Catherine garcia has just been it's pretty remarkable i was seeing since march she's gone up 20 percent why what is that what is the cause of that is that the new york times endorsement or is there yeah i i think it's a variety of factors um including the new york times endorsement which really is always a major factor in um races in new york city and it really gave her a lift going kind of from a second tier candidate who is struggling to get media attention to someone where everyone's thinking, hey, I need to take a look at this person. It's also really interesting if you look back at past mayoral races in New York City, there is a lot of wave riding. And uh, you want to kind of catch your wave uh, closest to the finish line where you see candidates go up and down and up and down. And I think we had been a little bit from the uh, political uh, media perspective in a little bit of a rut. And so she hit that New York Times endorsement at the perfect time to um, where people wanted to start talking about something new. And I don't think there is a tremendous amount of excitement about any other candidate in particular. So she certainly is now having a chance to make her case. And that said, at the debate tomorrow, it'll be the first time she really comes under fire from the other candidates being looked at as one of the frontrunners. It did seem kind of hilarious how Andrew Yang shot himself with, in the foot with his comment like, uh, I would really like her to help me run the city. And that <laughs> right. just came off as like really patronizing. And she then just obviously ran with the comment like, all right, well, he's basically giving me his endorsement to run the yeah, city she, for you. She's like a really stupid middleman and just uh, put, put me at the top spot. So what do you think of Yang? Do you think he deserves the um, the flack he's getting about not really being a New Yorker and everything? So. No, I, I don't think it's fair for him to be getting flack about not being a New Yorker. And certainly the new, the Daily News political cartoon that was tinged with some racism showing him as a tourism, a wide eyed tourism. And that's, you know, a lot of times Asian Americans are kind of otherized in that sense. And all of that's really unfair. And it's a shame that that's boiled down to it. What is fair is a lot of the criticism that he's taking for being a political newcomer to New York and a civic newcomer. He hasn't had a job or had a focus of his life that's been on New York City government or policy or issues or the people of New York at all in his career. And so I think that that's really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I don't know if it's penetrating voters, but certainly people who pay a lot of attention to politics and media are really rubbed the wrong way by that saying like, you know, We've been dealing with a lot of these really weighty issues like housing and policing and transportation that are complicated and have histories and have so many trial and error and all of this stuff over the years that have evolved into what they are now. And so you come in and try to talk about these issues and you don't have any knowledge of that and you haven't done the work in those areas. So I think that that's where a lot of this in the media is saying he's a he's a newcomer. It's kind of a shame that it gets boiled down to the one liner of he's not a real New Yorker, but I think he's not a real New York civic operator. He's kind of right. Game. Well, hasn't he like not consistently voted in many elections? He also like I, I was reading one of his most um, 
just ridiculous policy claims as his uh, trying to change the MTA. When when asked about it, he has like no concrete ideas about how that would actually happen. And that's it a just great example. Like, He's known as the big ideas guy. But how can you come up with a great idea to fix something if, like, for the MTA, using your example, he doesn't even know, like, which bridges are part of the Port Authority, which are under the MTA, what the state controls, what the city controls. If you don't know how that all works, then your big ideas are going to be kind of useless. It seems like it's kind of now boiling down to Eric Adams and Catherine Garcia. And they seem to be somewhat, I mean, it's interesting how the race, all these candidates are somewhat moderate right i mean you wouldn't consider a lot of this on the left and then like do you like how are the endorsements breaking down i guess i i was, I was looking up some of them like does it seems like there's a there's a arms race between adams and garcia for the like most wonky sort of endorsements like they want the most like insider or the maybe right. not wonk but like the most uh like every neighborhood's assembly man or they're all holding out for certain do you right. think that's going to decide the election sort of how these very insider networking um, no i think there's very few endorsements that make a tremendous difference like most regular voters don't really know or care who their local elected official is if, if one candidate can really stockpile them and literally have 100 local elected officials to someone else with 10, that can chip away and create kind of a groundswell of, of support in various communities. But we're seeing the endorsements being very split up, to be honest. Um, some endorsements that do matter are union endorsements because they'll spend money in the race and they'll they'll have m- members be activated. Like, for example, the teachers union has over 100,000 voting members. And they're going to spend $4 million in independent expenditure. They're pushing it for Scott Stringer, whereas like $1,199, the big healthcare union is pushing for Maya Wiley. So there is so much support even outside of Adams and Garcia. And Garcia particularly, that's the downside of coming up a little bit later is a lot of these endorsements are made earlier. The endorsements, I think, are so split that no endorsements in particular are going to make the big difference in this race. So I'm obviously not living in New York anymore, so I don't know if this is already sort of a done deal. I'm just kind of curious, has Cuomo endorsed anyone? And is that an endorsement that anyone would actually want at this point? (laughs) Uh, Number one, and then I guess just kind of number two, thinking sort of bigger picture, obviously, like the mayorship of New York City is often in direct conflict with the governorship of the state. Like, is are there... I'm just kind of curious as to your thoughts there. Like, who do you think would do the best job of like working with and standing up to Cuomo right. as as might be necessary? Yeah, that's a great question because uh, obviously Cuomo's perception would have gone from one of a, an incredibly important endorsement to now something that I think could be toxic. And he hasn't endorsed and he hasn't weighed in. I think he's and this is an entirely different show, but I think he's keeping his head down on purpose and trying to go about his business and trying to survive this crisis that that he's created for himself. So I don't think anyone's seeking his endorsement, and I don't think he'll be offering it. I do think it is a great... de Blasio is like famously bad at getting his way with the state and with Cuomo. So bad that he actually like will go into a situation and lose ground, like instead of even getting a little <laughs> like go in and have something taken away. So certainly people don't want to go back to that. And I think this this election, it's a great question because this election is a bit of a reaction to de Blasio. People in, in executive races often look for the the reaction to the worst qualities of the one before. So I think that someone like Eric Adams or Scott Stringer 
or probably even uh, probably Catherine Garcia, people who have experience working in the system that know how the agencies work and they know how the politics work are going to do better with Cuomo. Are some candidates connections to de Blasio then a negative? Like wasn't I mean, isn't Catherine Garcia closely tied to the ball? So she's kind of um, gotten away with it because she she's framed herself as someone who was in charge of agencies and that operated those agencies well and operated them somewhat independent from the bullshit going on in, in City Hall, where someone like Maya Wiley was. I don't know if this is fair or not, but it's framed more as part of de Blasio's inner circle of advisors. So it was more pegged with, well, if that wasn't going well you know, you're partially to blame for that. And I think she's had a hard time getting away from it. It's another situation where someone like Andrew Yang or Ray McGuire or Diane Morales saying like, we want an outsider to come in, they'll drain the swamp, they'll do things differently. Well, you can't just do things differently in Albany. And the city council still has to approve your budget. You still have to know those processes. So I think voters are probably trying to weigh, or if they're really thinking about this, weighing between how much do I want in the way of new ideas and big ideas and a different way of doing things? And how much do I want someone that can get stuff done, but is probably going to do it in a more slow, more opaque manner? Like no one's really ever accused Eric Adams of being corrupt, but he absolutely plays the political game and does the favors and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think you would see the sense of progress with someone like Adams happen at a slower rate and more incremental rate. Someone like Yang comes in, you might try to have these big sweeping changes and um, nothing happen or or maybe something would get done, you know. But I could see Yang clashing with Cuomo. I, I think Adams is uh, smart and savvy enough to to not do that. But also, I think the common wisdom is that Cuomo won't be here very long. So what's up, Dan? Right, Welcome. That's, what, that's what I was. Thank you. Sorry to join a few minutes in. But that, I think, Alex, that was going to be my real question is Cuomo might be his days might be numbered. And so you might have a governor local or a governor Ocasio-Cortez. And so it's going to be a whole new ballgame. But I do think anyone just not named Bill de Blasio will have a better relationship with Andrew Cuomo, who is the worst politician in America, in my opinion. Right. And I think that uh, there are probably lessons to be learned about coming in and being antagonistic and also Cuomo can't get away with his bullying anymore. I mean, so many people have come out and spoken out against his his bullying that he just can't do what he used to do. Even if he even if he does make it until the end of his term, he he will be kind of uh, neutered in that sense where, you know, I think he'll keep doing the job, but he won't be taking on fights. So you mentioned Stringer is his campaign. It seems like it's on life support. But if if you hypothetically saw him surging back, how would that look like? Why? What? What is his appeal? The appeal to Stringer is, well, there's a a political appeal. And then I think like the actual appeal to voters. So I think that you could, I'll start with the political. I think that you could see him perform better than people think because he's the only candidate who's actually won a, a citywide office. And there's a lot of habit forming when people go to the ballot box and they vote and they voted for Stringer twice in a row. He's been Manhattan borough president. There are are a lot of prime voters in New York who have a history of pulling that lever, the proverbial lever for Stringer. And that doesn't just disappear. He didn't have high negatives before his bit of a before his bit of scandal that came out. He was also pretty boring. But again, pushing back on de Blasio, I think he's seen as someone who can manage the city, who knows the city, but is more progressive 
than Adams and um, Catherine Garcia. So he, I can see him being a lot of people's second and third choices, fourth choices. Fourth probably is enough to get it done. But I think he he doesn't have a real pathway to victory, but he will have a stronger performance than a lot of people think. And he does have a lot of union support too and institutional support. I feel like Garcia would be the, if you're like betting money that her, she places on a lot of like second, third, and fourth on ballots, like that would be the one that I'd probably put my money on, right? It's like hard to say anything negative about her. Maybe right. she's not exciting enough, but like everyone kind of likes her. And Yang has been like, I will delegate the city to her if I'm elected, which is a crazy thing to say in a competitive prime. Yeah, I, I do think she could be in a lot of those places. I, I think that the key about this ranked choice voting stuff, not to like totally dive into that, but it's less like it matters less than people think in a lot of ways, but it can matter at the margins. And so it's like usually the person that gets the most first place votes on the first round wins, like well over 90 percent of the time in in history of ranked choice voting that happens. But it could hurt someone like Yang, where you have almost this love him or hate him attitude and help people like Garcia, like Stringer, maybe even like Adams, who are like, okay, you know, if my if I love Diane Morales, she's not going to make it to the last three of of this or Sean Donovan. So who else is slotting in there? could could make it close. And I, I think that was going to be Stringer's pathway to victory. And I think he was primed to be the next person with a surge, but um, got kind of knocked down. So I heard some really interesting point. Or I read it that since the Morales campla- campaign has imploded, Garcia is the only person with like somewhat of a Hispanic because she has she's married to someone who's Puerto Rican. And right. just because people don't research that much in a ranked choice voting system, because the Hispanic bloc usually votes with whoever the, the Hispanic candidate is. A lot of people might just write her name in as the second or third choice because it's Garcia. And I just found that to be a, to like sort of encapsulate kind of what's what happens when people are voting. That it's not some people it's are putting possible. a lot of thought. And also the the I hate to generalize, but polling has showed that the Hispanic community in New York is a little bit more conservative than some of the other communities in New York, particularly around public safety. And so Catherine Garcia's kind of uh, like platform out there really does appeal to all of those voters too. So it's sort of like a, a double whammy there for her. So do you think that the biggest issue is, well, what do you think, like coronavirus reopening? Or is it, it seems like it's more and more becoming quality of life mixed in with this policing thing where they're right. defund the police and then there's the reaction to defund the police. And it seems like, Eric Adams is in a really interesting spot there because he has all this NYPD experience, but then he also has a personal story of like police brutality. So he straddles the line in a really intriguing way. Yeah. And you can see, by the way, everybody's messaging has shifted that everybody's internal polls are saying the same thing, that public safety is a top issue and a voting issue that people care about. These things change really quickly. Like, you know, I don't think that coronavirus reopening it feels like a problem to people. I think they feel like it's an inevitability. It's going to happen. Business will come back. They're less worried about it than they were two months ago. So I think it's a public safety issue. And then there is a very strong, like progressive wing of the Democratic Party in New York that isn't enough to be a majority, but is enough to swing split votes. 
And where that that wing kind of falls, which right, it already was split. Morales didn't have that cornered in any way, shape, or form. It was already kind of split between Morales and and Stringer and Maya Wiley. If that kind of pushes toward more towards Garcia versus Adams in second choice voting, that could be be the difference there. So I think that oh, like you can't just lean into public safety. There's got to be there's got to be some other substance there. The other day I was sitting in the park at St. Nicholas, which has like a uphill slope, and a guy just rode a dirt bike up through the park and like jumped over this little barricade and just kept going. And then like 20 minutes later, police cruisers came around. But I do think that there will be. Um, I'm kind of nervous that that's going to happen. That the vote's going to turn out to be much more moderate or conservative because people are going to vote on these very just like. Whatever, you know, if they if they were bothered by a noise violation the night before, they're going to vote for someone else. Oh, and there's going to be some noise violations. I mean, this weekend's going to be 90 degrees like the the bar closing time is no longer in effect. Like there's going to just I feel like the next two weeks, New York is going to be kind of exploding, which could lead to, to more. I mean, in the hot weather, there's always more more crime, which. Unfortunately, I think if we if we see more crime and more shootings and just wildness leading up to the election, we'll probably have a more moderate. What are, are the other big races like the D.A. race seems to be the other very influential one. But it seems like this woman, Tali Weinstein, Weinstein, uh, Faharidian. I don't really know how to say her middle name. It's a I mean, here the, this is a wild situation in the fact that the DA's race is not a city race. It's a state race, like a state Senate race or whatever. So it's governed by different rules and there is no ranked choice voting in the DA's race. And the candidates are allowed to like raise 50 grand at a time from individuals. So like this woman, Dolly has raised $10 million from wall street and is just kind of smartly pretending she's a progressive, but is really very destructive and probably more carsatorial than Cy Vance's. And will probably set that office back if she wins. And I find the strategy of it really interesting because like people are looking at this race saying like, well, my fate, my favorite progressive is who I want to vote for, but maybe I should vote for one of the other progressives that has a better chance to beat her. So like, the strategy in the non-ranked choice voting is actually like more intense. In ranked choice voting, just vote for whoever you want first and whoever you like second, second. In this race, like people who want reform are really trying to figure out like what the fuck do we do here? Right. It seems like the progressive vote has split between too many Orleans and uh, whatever that the the white guy's name yeah. is. Dan Cor. Bragg. Yeah. Bragg and. Um, and and I think most of them look at Bragg as the more, more moderate among the group and, and believe that Manhattan should be a place where we can have tremendous reform. But Bragg also seems like the only one who may have a shot to win. So I, that's going to be I, I yeah. think an incredibly important race. The, the DA can unilaterally do more to change the criminal justice system than anybody else can, more than the mayor can. And I think these mayoral candidates are all, you know, relatively similar the city's not going to look that different after they're elected. But if Tali is elected or Bragg is elected, our criminal justice system will look differently. So that's a major choice. And I hope that's being communicated to voters. But this podcast will help do that. Reaching out to the millions of New Yorkers out there, eagerly anticipating our our uploads. Um, so, OK. So in that case, yeah, that, 
That just depresses me to think about it. But it seems like uh, there might be. Would you recommend the candidates that they drop out? I mean, yeah, I type I, of thing I, where it's, I talk about it that practically. Asked candidates if they would drop out. Not that I'm uh, could influence them to that degree. And it just kind of got to be too late. Like, you know, they had put too much effort in and raised too much money and had made their TV commercials and were were kind of past the point of no return. They're all on the ballot. So those conversations really needed to happen and get done. And they did happen a little bit back in January. But nobody I mean, this takes a certain amount of hubris to run for office. Even the best of them, the ones I like, have a lot of hubris and they all believed that they could be the one to win and should be the one to win. And so it takes a rare person to to really you know, drop out for the greater good. Right. It's just, it's the underrated, maybe most important race in American history because the person who wins will likely be the one that decides President Trump's fate. So, and his whole family. Like, yeah. there's a world in which the new DA, Manhattan DA, indicts the entire Trump family and tries to put all of them in jail, which is somewhat crazy because it doesn't, the race itself hasn't gotten a ton of attention. The fate of the world could rest on this race. Oh my God, and that makes the prospect of someone like Weinstein, who has all this um, whatever money with strings attached, not not right. ideal. Is that is Cy Vance not going to try to like rush it through or something? Is, I thought that was kind of why he wanted to do it so quickly. He may try as sort of a legacy saver, and you know, she could Tally could come in and say, you know what, I I want to do this as well. I want to be famous. I want to make my mark. What she's not going to do is like let people who stole a candy bar not go to jail. And that's fucked up when you multiply it by hundreds or thousands. So what did you think of uh, the the dumbest comment of the recent week was Bill de Blasio talking shit to the Hawks and then inspiring Trey Young to shit on them. I thought that was ridiculous. That Knicks were, the moment he said that, the Knicks were cursed. This Celtics fan, dude, de Blasio was always trying to be the cool kid on the block, and he always misses the mark. (laughs) That was ridiculous. That was a great parting gift from de Blasio. Do you think the Knicks have a chance, or it's over? Honestly, the Knicks are overmatched skill-wise. I thought they had a bottom-five roster going into the season, and I still think with the emergence of some of their players, they have a bottom-ten roster in the league, skill-wise. Tibbs has done an excellent job, but they're they're outgunned. I think they could pull off a victory tomorrow in New York, which gives them a shot. But then to go back and win again in Atlanta and come back and win again in New York was is probably a long shot. But it's a season that Knicks fans need to, I mean, need to look on with a lot, a lot of positivity. I mean, incredibly, one of the best, probably the best overperforming season I've ever seen as a Knicks fan. And so there's a lot of really good things to take away from it. So who's your favorite? Who's going to win it all? <sighs> I mean, I, I don't see how the Nets don't. That's it. Dan may have something to say about them getting out of the first round, but... I mean, if the Celtics were healthy, they would have beaten them, but the Celtics <laughs> are down, down multiple stars. The Nets are probably going to win it all. I think we all just need to come to grips with that. Maybe not. Maybe Milwaukee can go toe-to-toe with them, but... It depends on Embiid's knee. But, I mean, Philly's lucky that they avoid either of those two in the next round. I, I don't even think the Lakers can stay healthy through enough playoff games. Yeah. AD right. being out is also a, I mean, a concern on that side. And just watching Kevin Durant right now, he is at least tied for the best player in the league. He has been filthy yeah. in this series. 
Yeah, the bigger LeBron... question for Knicks fans is like, what the hell do you do with Julius Randle? Like, do you sign him to a thirty million a year contract like he's going to want, or do you just kind of kick the can down the road and pick up the option, and then basically he becomes unrestricted the year after? I think yeah. you probably pick up the option, but I mean, if you want to win an NBA championship. I, I believe you have to have an MVP caliber player, not necessarily the MVP, but somebody who is in the conversation. If you look back at every championship for the last 25 years, that's the case. And he, I don't know if he I don't think he'll ever be in the, that conversation. That said, to win the championship, you can have multiple max players. And I think he is a max player. I think he could become a very consistent all star who deserves a max contract. And his presence there could help the Knicks attract or trade for or attract in free agency who that other star is going to be. But yeah, I look, you got to keep the core you're building. The Knicks have done too much like of yeah. just throwing away things that weren't perfect, but we're working at least a little bit. How old is he? Is he like 28 or something? J.R. Barrett's really good, too. Randall. And that guy Burke came out like of nowhere. Six, maybe 25. I'm pumped yeah. after I edit 26. this podcast to uh, watch LeBron versus the Suns, which is going to be like a legacy-defining... That's what I love about LeBron's career is how he's like on the edge. Like when you look at his stats, he's been to, what, 10 straight NBA Finals, but he's lost half of those. So you, he has to, like, in these moments, he really does have to come through to keep his career legacy afloat, kind of. Yeah, just got to Brady it, get a couple wins at I the mean, end. Brady always comes through. Brady always comes through, so we just need to like think about that for a second. Brady's the fucking man. He's gonna win it again this year. Wait, I mean, Dan, what did you think about those reports about uh the Trump negotiating on Robert Kraft's behalf? Sounds about right. They're best friends. <laughs> I just wanted to call out the fact that you love the Patriots, who are owned by these like skeeziest dude in American sports, maybe even worse than the Cronkies. Uh, I mean, yeah, like. Worse from a moral I mean, perspective, a but I'd of... much rather be owned by the crass. Like, come on. There's also, also there's, there's like levels to this. For skeeziest, I think that's like a high bar saying Robert Kraft. I mean, New York doesn't have any any owners beyond repute. <laughs> right. James Dolan just has his like little lame band. He's not like. He's, I don't think he's. He's he's got to get. Sometimes you got to give credit where credit's due. He hired really really smart good people on the Knicks and kind of got out of the way and let them. Let them do what they what they're doing. Yeah, after what, like twenty fucking years of running them into <laughs> the gutter, he finally realized that that, uh, maybe yeah. maybe I don't actually know everything that I think I do. <laughs> Better late than never, I guess. All right, Ben, do you want to take your moment to gloat about Chelsea's victory? Uh, you know that's unnecessary. I can be I can be pretty level headed about it. It really uh, you're just, gonna be humble. That doesn't seem to be part of your makeup. I mean, I don't I know. It's just never in doubt. Chelsea trailed for five minutes of the entire Champions League campaign, which is a crazy stat. A new record for fewest goals conceded in a Champions League campaign. Uh, ultimately, he was like notable for how straightforward it all was, which is pretty pretty crazy considering that Chelsea historically have thrived in chaos. But I don't think that it can really be disputed that Chelsea played the best of any team in the Champions League this season. Congrats! Yes, they played Thank very. You. I was impressed by the by just the level of discipline, man. Tuchel I mean, clearly has like a whisper. He's like, you should. How he's the best coach in the world. Just, he's the best coach in the world. I mean, like he's he's he combines like you know the Guardiola school with uh, with the traditional German school of management, and uh, he's just on another level. So I, I'm not a huge soccer fan, but 
do you think that how important is that experience for Pulisic going into World Cup qualifying with a, a young, bad American team? Can this be the kind of thing that makes him into, you know, the leader that, that the U.S. team would need? I think, I mean, for sure, yes. Like, there's no there's no other way to kind of instill a winning mentality without actually winning things. Um, so it's huge. I mean, he's the first American to play in a Champions League final and win it. So, you know, that's that's obviously massive. And I think beyond that, just like training at elite clubs at the very, very highest level of the sport, you know, teaching him how to take care of his body, just like how right. to and he's, the game tactically. He's just um, gotten so much quicker and his finishing has gotten so much better. You feel like when you go to training, other players are going to be like, oh shit, I need to like step it up. He's going to like force the skill level of everyone around him. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the other thing is just like the the huge value. I mean, Tuchel does so many things, but like one of the things that he does best is he has a, an incredible sense of what his players are good at and what positions they should be put in where they're most likely to succeed. And that like Pulisic is still 22 years old, so he's still learning and developing. And I think just knowing what kinds of positions he wants to be in, how he wants to receive the ball, how he wants to turn, how to time you know, movements and runs and behind, uh, all of that is, is going to be a massive asset for the U.S. going forward. What do you think about his role as super sub? Is that something that's going to continue, you think, into next year for Chelsea, or was that more injury-related? I mean, it's a little column A, a little column B. I think he's a little bit disadvantaged because Tuchel has previous with him. When he was really young at Dortmund, Tuchel actually brought him through the ranks, uh, and his initial roles at really successfully were as kind of a super sub. I think that, you know, Chelsea are going to be playing so many matches. Uh, one of the things that Tuchel did extremely well is rotate the team and, and keep people fresh and generally injury-free. And, uh, you know, like there was an incident earlier where Pulisic came out to for the second half of a match and felt a little twinge, and so they took him out, and he didn't wind up missing any games. So that kind of just, like, load management is is really important for, for players like Pulisic, who, who has a tendency of, of hamstring problems. So I think using him in short bursts off the bench where he can run at tired players uh, and go all out as opposed to trying to save himself for 90 minutes, like he'll always be an asset there. But I think he'll get plenty of minutes no matter what. Doesn't your dad have Tuchel's number? Did he text him after the game? <laughs> he, he, yes. Well, I don't know if it's a, if it's a current number, but he... He, he texted him, and he was like, who dis? No, he didn't, he didn't text him. Of course he didn't text him. But yeah, he, uh, he has a number. Dan, anything else? What are you, what's up in your life? You're outside or something? Just on the move, so just trying to dial in and, uh, you know, be in the field. See what <laughs> like people that. are doing. So Since Nicholas wasn't here, I needed to be the random person on the phone in crowded spaces with background <laughs> noise type thing and fulfill his role in life. You're better at muting, at least. <laughs> Right. It's a button on the screen. You just tap it. <laughs> All right. So we can finish off. Alex, do you want to, what, what's any predictions for the uh, debate tomorrow? Is there going to be any low blows? Andrew Yang's going to go for Catherine Garcia's throat. I think that Yang and Adams are going to get super saucy with each other. They traded some, some barbs today. So I think that's going to get wild. And I hope in, in the first debate, Adams made some comment that people were saying was, was kind of sexist. He was like, ooh, things are getting spicy when uh, Maya Wiley and Garcia were going at it or Morales were going at it. So 
I hope when it goes that way, Catherine Garcia says, "Ooh, it's getting it's getting spicy when Adams and Yang start start going." Uh, I like that. Oh, back in his face. To next week. Thank you for doing this, Alex. No, this was great, and uh, we can do, do a recap when all is done, and we can show how wrong I am. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please tune in next week when we will recap the debate and talk more basketball. Stay safe. Talk to you then.